We are, uh, as you know, we're and been in a series on uh, on um, intercess, in, in, intercession. And today I want to talk to you about the power behind our intercessory prayers. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has coordinated our music today just to, to go along with, uh, with what uh, the Holy Spirit would have us to understand from the scriptures this morning uh, regarding the power behind our intercessory prayers. We've been talking a lot about intercession, about prayer in general, but then specifically about intercession. And uh, today um, we need to just understand that intercession is just not all on, not all on our own, but we have a power uh, within us that enables us to be intercessors. And Jesus, of course, is our great example as the greatest of all intercessors. So today is the conclusion of this series. So we're, we're ending our series here on, uh, on this in- intercessory prayer. And uh, we'll begin a new series next week. We're um, talking about the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus in, in our lives and in, the, in our Christian faith. Um, I have a number of scriptures I want to share with you. Not just one today. So there's a number here. But... Um, there's a maybe from a practical aspect, a practical way, um, just give you a, a little pattern for intercessor for, for an intercessor, a, a helpful pattern of how to uh, use intercessory prayer. Intercession um, usually would fit in the Lord's Prayer, the section of the Lord's Prayer. You remember we talked about the Lord's Prayer extensively. We talked about uh, how that Jesus taught us when we pray, if you have a guideline, we first of all focus on, remember, God's person, and then we talk about God. Then we, then we, talk, we pray about God's program. And, uh, you know, thy kingdom, you know, our, our Father who art in heaven, God's person, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, God's kingdom. And that's usually where intercession fits in, right there in that, that, in that focus upon God's program. Then, of course, then we focus upon, you know, give us this day our daily bread, our material needs, and forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who sin against us, our spiritual needs. And then we focus lastly upon and lead us not into temptation or our spiritual protection, our spiritual, uh, spiritual warfare. So, again, the Lord's Prayer was God's person, God's program, our material needs, our spiritual needs, our spiritual protection, just those five, five areas of emphasis that Jesus gave us. And again, within God's program is generally where we would use the ministry of intercession. So, you know, the way you could do this, if you wanted a practical, a practical uh, outline, if you will, you could, uh, you know, divvy up your week, you know, schedule your week, and you could just take a section, uh, like maybe a Monday or Tuesday, whatever week you, day, day you decide, again, as you, as you pray and intercede for those who you live with or that you know best, you know, your family, your children. You know, your, your, uh, your husband, your wife, whoever, you know, people that you're close to. Um, just take time to say, you're not going to pray for anybody else that day. You're just going to focus on their needs. You know, and you go to the Lord and you say, Father, help me today to know how to pray. If there's something special that I need to be praying for, you know, my daughter, if there's things special I need to be praying for my son, I, I'm open to your guidance. And uh, the Lord may lead you to begin interceding for them in a unique way. So that's something that you can do. Just say, I'm going to focus this day on nothing else but except I'm going to pray for those that I live with or those who, who I know best. Uh, maybe another day you could pick uh, uh, your intercede for church friends or co-workers or uh, people, you know, uh, you know maybe, maybe some neighbors, 
um, maybe some neighbors around you. You know, for us it might be uh, we would have to pray for Amish. You know, we'd be praying for our Amish neighbors that 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 we know um, that come to our door frequently and needing needing assistance. Um, you could, again, just use that day not to pray for family or anything. That day you've scheduled to pray for those particular things. Church friends and co-workers. And uh, then, of course, you could always choose another day. You could, uh, you could go with, uh, if I get it here, pray for special things that matter to you. You know, things that maybe burdens on your heart that are emphasis that, you know, worries or concerns you have. You could, uh, you could just pray, you know, about, about the future, about... about uh, you know, uh, what, what, whatever it is that is a concern to you. Um, sometimes you just take time to, you know, I wonder sometimes if we just don't take enough time to stop and pause for a little while to think about what really matters. We're so busy just rushing through things all the time. Sometimes it's just good to stop and pause and think, okay, what is it, Lord, that's really important today? You know, and uh, I, I expect God to answer. I hope you do too. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. I'm always so surprised how he's just so clear about giving me an answer. It's just amazing. Maybe you could take another day to pray, you know, about, uh, um, you know, the ministry of the local church, uh, the Mount Hope. You know, you don't focus about anything else, but say, Lord, I'm bringing before you today Mount Hope and our ministry uh, and your will for us. And of course, you know, special missionaries, maybe personal missionaries. I mean, I should say missionaries that you personally know. And then also, um, I always leave it open saying, God, if you have any divine appointments for me, you got anybody you want me to run, run across today, that anybody that, that you want to talk to me about or want me to go visit or want me to, to, uh, to help in any way. I, I hope that this series, loved ones, has helped you to know God's longing. We've talked about a whole gamut of things regarding prayer. And I hope this has helped you to know God's longing and uh, to pray with you, His generous heart to fellowship with you through prayer. Uh, his concern that you connect with Him. And his patience in knowing that you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. So he's patient with us just offering him any kind of, of, of prayer ministry to him. And he's, he's, he's joyful and happy. And, he, and he, he's willing to open our minds and help us to learn how to even pray better and better as we mature in him. Remember, he's revealed to us that he's not that sleepy neighbor who doesn't have time for us. He's not that unjust judge who doesn't give a rip about us. You know, Jesus gave us those great parables that we, that we worked our way through. He's not like the, you know, those false gods who you've got to yell and scream out to be able to get their attention. But he, he hears just, you know, that, the, that the quietness of, of our hearts when we pray. Hmm. Yeah. Um, he's... You know, we've learned, too, to be specific in our intercessions. Uh, specific. What do we really want God to do for the people in our lives that he has brought providentially into our relationships or to our circle of influence? Now, can I just tell you, I shared this uh, with someone last week as they were leaving as, um, about uh, an incident that happened to Becky and me and, uh, um, regarding intercession. That we, there's a family member that we had been praying for for quite a long time. Um, you know, it's been a few years now just praying as, as this person has just kind of shut the door uh, on God. You know, they, uh, just because of 
disappointments and discouragements and things. Of course, as we prayed and, you know, you, know, you pray and you intercede and asking God to, to, to meet with them, you know, in your time, God, in your timing, whatever. You know, we're going to just remind you of, of, of Him today. And uh, some, somewhere, I can't remember, it was last March, sometime in March. Um, I think I might have shared this during our, uh, our midweek prayer service. That I was walking into Rule King and I had a, um, uh, I had a list of things I was getting. I can't remember what it was. What, but it was, I wasn't thinking about the Lord at all. I wasn't thinking about anything spiritual. I was just thinking about what I got to pick up, this and that. And as I walked into Rule King, the voice, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, I'm going to reveal my glory to this family member that you've been praying for. And I remember when I thought, I almost stopped in the parking lot because it kind of, <laughs> what was that? And as I kept walking, the Lord just reemphasized it to me and there came a joy and assurance that God was, had heard our prayers for this person. Uh, time passed. I didn't contact him. I didn't say anything about it. And probably about six weeks later, sometime around Easter, uh, he was sharing with me how about six weeks earlier, he began having questions about eternity. And one thing, I won't go into all the details, but one thing led to another. And he surrendered his life to Jesus in a way that he's never done before. And he started going to church and he's walking with the Lord today. You know, now that, that was just, uh, that was just, uh, as I shared with him, I said, I, I had a feeling something was going on because about six weeks ago, he, the Lord told me he was going to reveal his glory to you and tears began streaming down his face that God would care for him like that so intercessory prayer really matters it's a, it's a part of the ministry that God has called us to. So don't, don't give up. Keep praying. We're, we're still praying for people who need the Lord in our, in our family and uh, trusting that the Lord will, will reveal His glory to them as well. You know, many of us can possibly relate to a time when a doctor misdiagnosed us or maybe misdiagnosed a loved one uh, once or maybe even twice, maybe even three or four times. You know, you think, goodness gracious. Uh, that's when you realize that no matter how old a doctor is, he's still practicing, right? He's still practicing at medicine. He's not, he's not an expert. He's not perfect at it yet. And uh, I think it's good for us to, when it comes to prayer, it's good for us to remember uh, that, um, in a, well, whether it's an artistic pursuit or whether it's some sort of a, a culinary endeavor, marriage or family relationships, and yes, even prayer, that we're still working at it. That no one ever arrives in becoming a master over prayer. 
or master over anything, really. You're still, yeah, you can do things well because you've learned how to do them, but you're never an expert. There, um, there's always, you know, I think when we go to school, a lot of times we, we read a book, and if we take a course, for instance, and we re- read a book, and we, we learn all the variables, and we take the exam, and we get an A, and when you leave school, you think, well, I've mastered that course. Actually, uh, as the older you get, you know that's not true. <laughs> you thought, well, I know some things about that, but I haven't necessarily mastered it. Because as, as you know me very well, um, meaningful prayer is an adventure. There is always a higher hill with a better view. Loved ones, there's always some new experience the Lord wants to show us. There's always something. There's always a hill with a better view. And prayer is, uh, and that's true in life, and that's, pray, that's true about prayer as well. Don't look at meaningful prayer like a course that, you, that you've finished and now, and now you don't need to learn anything else. Um, we don't always believe it. We don't always believe it, but God loves you so much. We've heard it so much that maybe we take it for granted. Maybe we don't. And I think sometimes things you take for granted, you don't always believe. But God loves us so much. And he's tried to convey that in multiple ways. uh, With, um, in fact, the, the, the fact and the how that God loves you. That he's shown us then through factual evidence and also and how he and how he loves us, God certainly says he loves each one of us in the scriptures. But Lord, uh, the Lord, he is more than just words. He's action. And we don't always believe that he loves us. And it's important for us to begin learning that he does. That he really does. It's important for you in your faith to really believe, to really understand, to accept the truth, to, uh, to not uh, um, deny the truth that God really does love you. As a matter of fact, the scriptures are plain about it. Jesus tells us the, this, the fact and the how that he does it. He's told us, he said, that God gives sunlight both to the evil and to the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. This is how God loves us. Now, we take it for granted. We just think, oh, there, you know, it's raining outside or, you know, the sun is shining. Those are necessities for us, to, for life to continue on. And Jesus said, this is an expression of God's love. And he does it, he shows love to everyone. He shows love to the wicked farmer as well as the righteous farmer. He shows love, you know, to the, to the good and the evil, to the righteous and to the unrighteous. And the greatest expression was actually a historical fact uh, in actual demonstration. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, he says this, he says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation or from God's coming wrath. So this great salvation, Paul says, that we have is, is relevant for now. It saved us now, but it's also a guarantee that we will be saved in the future. That we don't have to worry about being lost. We don't have to worry about going to hell. Or we don't have to worry about God judging us or condemning us or falling underneath his wrath. It's a great salvation that we have been given. But once God is not looking to find fault in his children or to catch us in these gotcha moments, Jesus has made us friends with our Heavenly Father. He's made us friends with himself. He's made us friends with the Holy Spirit. And I so hope I'm talking your language this morning. Uh, 
even in our imperfect prayer life, let me tell you, even in our imperfect prayer life, as we're learning and making mistakes and failing, and sometimes, you know, we, we skip prayer for several days and then we get back into it, you know, even with all that, stopping and going and starting and, and, uh, and beginning and ending and all, all that, uh, still, we need to remember that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That no matter what you're trying to accomplish in life, this salvation that we have, that we hold to, that is the, the center, the center of your life. It's the center. It's not just an add-on. It's not just a, loved ones, it's not just a, um, a trivial thing. It is everything. It is everything. That when you falter and fail, praise the Lord, uh, you're, um, it, it, is, it is even effective then. That when you falter in prayer, or for that matter, uh, in any aspect of your walk with the Lord, yes, it's serious, and it needs, most certainly needs the attention of God's grace, but I can tell you what happens to you most likely, those of you who are really sincere in your walk with Jesus when you falter and fail, the evil one who is the accuser, he's the liar, he's the deceiver, the tempter and devourer, the scripture says, he screams in your ear. I know it, I've, I've heard it before. He screams in your ear, Failure, guilt, condemnation, hopelessness. You call yourself a Christian, you're, you're a wreck, you know. But Jesus doesn't scowl and tell you he's leaving your life. Oh no. Paul goes on to say later, he says that nothing there in that same chapter of Romans, chapter 8, he says nothing can separate you from God's love demonstrated in Christ Jesus for you on the cross and the resurrection. It's a fact. It's a fact. God demonstrated his love for us on the cross and also in the empty tomb. He doesn't leave your life and force you to get saved all over again when you fail. Jesus, he defeated the holding power of sin in your life when he died on the cross. You just have to recognize it. If you don't recognize that Jesus defeated sin on the cross, then you think you got to defeat it yourself. No, you need to just relax and rest that he has done the work. There's not a thing you can do to defeat sin. Jesus has the enabling power to, he's the one that overcomes sin. And by trusting him, you'll overcome it as well. Now, loved ones, you must believe that. Not only on day one, when you first become a Christian, but on the last day before you go to heaven. There's only one salvation, and it's through Jesus. And this one we believed on when we first came to the Lord, the day we were born again, is the same salvation we carry through our entire life. Always standing behind the cross, trusting Him no matter what happens until that last day, and we do the same then. It's the same. He's the only one. It's Jesus is the only one. Here... Loved ones, your, your salvation in Jesus is not on again and off again, on again and off again, like we flip a light switch. The devil would like, uh, would have us believe, would like us to believe and think that God's love for us is fickle. Kind of like uh, plucking the petals, well, kind of like this, kind of like plucking the petals of a daisy. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he said, no. Paul said, God loves us. And he has... 
shown that by not only telling us, that showing us through natural events by giving us the sun, the rain, but also by giving us his son. It's a factual, historical uh, event where he died for us. And then he rose from the dead. So he doesn't, God's not fickle. He, he, nothing can separate us from his love, the salvation that he gives us. We just need to recognize it. I mean, when we recognize what Jesus has done for us, then that's when we overcome the evil one. We overcome the devil's temptations and his accusations. Amen. When the Apostle Paul talks about the love of God, listen to me. When, he's talk, when he talks about the love of God, he's not talking about some abstract concept. No, he's talking about that love as the constant in the context of the salvation God has provided for us through Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We have to learn, listen, we have to learn to cooperate with God with what he's provided for us. You have to learn to think about what God has given you and focus your attention upon that and, and hide behind the cross knowing that it's your only hope. We have to let our salvation do its work in us, do what only it can do. We have to believe that Jesus' death was so powerful, loved ones, it was so victorious over the power of sin and Satan that by continual trust in Jesus and that obedient surrender to Him, the power of the cross will rescue us through any difficulty and will empower us and teach us how to pray, how to do everything that we're required to do as disciples. Sometimes I think we get, we get out from behind the cross. We do, as Christians. We get out from behind the cross and we, and we, and we stand in front of it instead of behind it. And, and uh, we're trying to serve God that way. Or we, I mean, we're trying to just do, do, we're trying to love that unloving person on our own, in our own strength, our own wisdom. Because we're just doing things our way. We've gotten out from behind the cross. And we've got to stop and, and, of course, then we fail. And, of course, the devil shoots his arrows at us and nails us really good. We have to learn to stay always behind the cross. That we're nothing. We can do nothing for good, nothing for God, unless we remember this salvation we have and what Jesus has done in our life. And we realize that if we don't have him, we cannot do anything for the Lord that matters. Even if we have the name Nazarene or, or you know, a Christian or what, whatever it is, without that actual faith, living faith that daily stays connected behind the Lord, knowing that Jesus is our salvation, we will not be able to do the things that matter for eternity. No, um, we have to learn to always stand behind that cross. He is our salvation in power. There is no condemnation from God as long as we abide in this Jesus, as long as we always return to looking at Him, no matter how many times we fail. Everything in our spiritual lives, our intercessory prayer, loving our neighbors, our enemies, witnessing, you name it, whatever it is, the power to do these things and to glorify God with your life comes from our faith in the power of the cross and the empty tomb. Always keep the cross and the empty tomb in the front of your heart. Always, always. You know, with, without, without the death of Jesus and the resurrection, Christianity loses all its meaning and power 
and becomes just simply a scrap iron is nothing. Without the cross, without the empty tomb, it just, it's an empty religion. I mean, it's nothing. It's meaningless. In John chapter 3, Jesus, he um, is informing Nicodemus there about the necessity of being born again or being born from above. And at the close of his conversation with Nicodemus, and he was one of the spiritual elites of the day, if you will, the spiritual elite class, Jesus said this to him, and this is key for us to understand about the nature of our salvation and how how it helps us to stand in such terrible circumstances when life changes on us for the worse or when the devil is attacking us. He says this. Jesus said something here. He said, I don't know if I did that or not, uh, Kim, but it says this. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. We need to listen, look at this again because this is a key point that Jesus mentions in this understanding of salvation and teaching Nicodemus. He said, he said, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now it's crucial that we understand what Jesus is saying here because it's key to understanding God's power plan of salvation to your life. It's crucial to you being set free from the power of sin and from the power of Satan over your life. Loved ones, it's, uh, Jesus, he was referring, um, he was re- referencing an incident here in the history of Israel during a period of rebellion after uh, Hebrews, uh, after they left the slavery in Egypt, they came to a place called Kadesh Barnea, and they were supposed to enter into the promised land right there. They sent in 12 spies, and uh, as you know, so you know, know, know this account, that 10 spies came back with a really negative report, and, and two came back with a positive report. 10 say, said, we could never do it. We can't do God's will. He's not going to help us. We, we, we can't go in there. The, it's too difficult. And of course, Joshua and Caleb, they were saying, no, with God's power, he's told us to do this. We can go in here. We can conquer. We can, we can do. And his, well, well, the people rebelled against the Lord. And so God, he, um, he condemned them here for to 40 years of wandering around the wilderness until that generation of unfaithful Hebrews had died. So here they are wandering around 40 years in this, in this wilderness outside of the promised land. And uh, there's an incident in Numbers uh, chapter 21 where God had kindly given them a military victory over one of these wilderness nations and they became discouraged again and they began rebel against God. Hebrews did. And they were so mad. They said, why in the world are we here? It's taking too long to get to the promised land. And said, why are we here? And they basically said this. We're sick of you, Moses, and we're sick of Yahweh, and we're sick of this stinking manna that he's, that he's given us every day to eat. <laughs> now, that's pretty deep rebellion. We want a new leader. We want a new God. We want, we want new provisions. We're sick of eating what he's providing for us. So, they, God sends some fiery snakes into the camp and probably... Um, biologists and I should say uh, 
botanist that thinks that they were probably these kind of snakes. They were saw-scaled vipers. And um, they, uh, they were, when they bite, they kind of leave a, a, a burning, uh, of course, a burning uh, in, in, infection, or I should say a place where they, where they bit, uh, really uh, painful and eventually death. And uh, that's what the venom produces, a burning pain. And um, the nation of Israel, uh, I say the Hebrews, they suffered terribly with that. And many of them died until they finally came to their senses and they saw that rebelling against God places you under his wrath and places you under his judgment. So they repented and they asked Moses to pray to the Lord for them. And Moses did. And this is what God said to do. And they're in Numbers 21 verses 8 to 9. He says this. He says, The Lord told him, told Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole and all who are bitten will live, will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole and then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. It's really just a small little incident and there's not a whole lot that is said about it there but Jesus highlights it. He says that was for a purpose. That's a representative of me and your salvation. If any life, uh, you know, these Hebrews, if any life still remained poisoned, uh, if, if any life still remained in a poisoned person, I should say, they could just simply look at that. And the, and the, uh, the word, the, the, uh, the sense is not just a glance but they had to look at it, gaze at it. They had to think about it. They could look at it and live. Some who had just been bitten, they could, they could look and live. Some who were almost dead, they could look and live. There was no case too difficult that someone where someone couldn't uh, look and, 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 and live. The saving power of that faith that they were having... Uh, um, Represented again by the snake or the serpent couldn't be exhausted. There was just no limit to the number of people that could look and live. And now Jesus is saying, just as the bronze serpent was left, left, lifted up, he would be lifted up on the cross. And anyone who would believe in him, and so that would be, that would be like this, anyone who would look upon him, who would gaze upon him, who would focus their attention upon him, seriously, anyone who would do that, that, again, that was the equivalent of looking and gazing, would be saved from eternal death and would be given eternal life. Now, isn't that amazing? Are you still with me? This servant wasn't an idol, but it, rather it was a symbol of healing. It was a symbol of life, a symbol of salvation to these dying Hebrews. But the requirement was one thing. They didn't have to touch it. They didn't have to go up and rub it. They didn't have to pray to it or anything like that. You know, they, they just had to simply look at it intently gaze upon it and that was to again look what they were doing is this when they looked at that snake they're looking at what they hate <laughs> that snake I mean that's my problem snake bites my problem is snake bites I, I'm dying because so they're looking at actually what they hated. They hated those snakes. The lifted up snake reminded them that it was 
they who got themselves in this mess. <laughs> it wasn't God's fault. It was nobody's fault. It was your fault that you're in this mess. <laughs> they were the ones who were rebelling against God in the first place. They hated it that ultimately it was their rebellion against God that brought them to death. And so they had to humble themselves and basically admit the worst about themselves. By looking at that snake, they had to admit, it's my fault. I'm the guilty one. They had to humble themselves and admit the worst about themselves. That their lives were a mess because of the snakes and it would be the image of the snake on the pole that would heal them. And when they looked... Again, not just a little glance, but a serious gaze. They were healed from the deadly venomous bites. And Jesus said in a similar manner, when he is raised up in death on the cross, when he is raised up, everyone who believes in him, which is the same as looking and seriously considering Jesus, putting their faith in him will have eternal life. Wow. Wow. I've had people ask me before why it was necessary for Jesus to have to die for our sins. And it's because God, well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, he tells us because God put on flesh in Jesus. I mean, Jesus was God in flesh. And Jesus, uh, you know, sin had no power over him. He never committed any sins while he was, while he was this... Uh, God man he never he never committed any sins at all and as the second Adam Jesus he knew no personal sin he conquered it he, it, it, uh, he overcame the devil in the wilderness he, he never sinned and then after being falsely accused of sin by the Sanhedrin by Caiaphas and those others you know he allowed himself to be falsely accused and and um he voluntarily allowed himself to be a sin offering for everybody, for all of us, by dying on the cross. Jesus, who committed no sin, he voluntarily allowed himself to become a sin offering. Our sins be placed on him, even though he had done nothing wrong. Displaying the love of God, of course, for us. And so Jesus is saying that so when we look at Jesus, when we consider him, we see what we hate. We see the wrath of God upon his son. That wrath is our wrath. It's supposed to be our wrath. When we look at Jesus, we see what we hate. We hate thinking that we're going to be judged by God. We hate thinking, too, that God's going to hold us accountable for our sins. That Jesus is dying for our sins. Well, it's our sins that put him there. And it's God's wrath that's falling on him. And it's reminding us that we are under judgment. We are under judgment for our, for our sins. That God will call, hold us to account someday. And we will. And, but, but God so loved us that he didn't want us to suffer the punishment and justice for our sin against him. And so when we gaze upon Jesus, we have to admit that it is our sin and rebellion that has not only wrecked our lives, <laughs> our families, it's wrecked actually in the long run. Think about it this way, loved ones. If you really think about how hideous our sin is, in the long run, 
It's wrecked all creation. Our sins have wrecked all creation. That not only have we wrecked the lives of our children, we've wrecked the lives of our marriage, we've wrecked the lives of our neighbors, our community, our nation, our world. All of us together. Our sin. Matter of fact, it's that's the case because <laughs> the Bible tells us that when we do receive that salvation God gives us, when He redeems us, the world's going to be all changed again, back to perfect, <laughs> like it was before before sin came. But the looking of our hearts, the looking of the looking of our hearts. When we look at the cross, we must believe two things about the cross. First of all, our sin is horrendously black and wicked. And God's love is astoundingly abundant and good. And when we look at the cross, we see the, the evidence of our sin. It's a reality that we're wicked. We're ungodly. And yet we also see something else, that God loves us. And He sacrificed His Son for us that we wouldn't have to face punishment. And friends, when we admit that, we are the ones who caused God to have to do what He did to His only begotten Son, then that's when a miracle takes place. That's when the miracle takes place. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to explain it. But we suddenly discover our sins are forgiven and we have this peace that comes over us. That we're at peace. We're at peace with God. It's called salvation from sin and death and reconciliation with God. Well, let me close here. We didn't do anything to earn it. We just simply looked to Jesus. We didn't. Uh, we didn't in any way have to. We don't have to touch him. We don't have to. We don't have to see him physically. But by faith, and we know this belief of repentance and trust and surrender. That's the equivalent of gazing upon the crucified Lamb of God. We didn't do anything to earn it. We just gaze upon Jesus, who, who He is, and what He did on the cross for us. And that is the gospel. And that's why Paul said this way. He said, he said uh, For I am not ashamed of this good news, this gospel about Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, everyone who gazes upon Jesus, who considers Jesus seriously. The Jew first, the Gentile, that this good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scripture says, it's through faith that a righteous person has lived. So from beginning to end, this is the only way that we can know God. Salvation, we don't get, we don't get, there's not another plan God has. This is the only plan and this will get us to heaven. So we have to stick to this plan that he has for us. It's like um, Spurgeon, and let me, I'll I'll leave you with this thought. Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in the 1800s, he said this, he said, uh, when I first came to Christ as a poor sinner and looked to him, I thought him the most precious object my eyes had ever lit upon. But this night, I had been looking to him while I had been preaching to you. In remembrance of my own discouragements and my own complaining and my own, and, and my Lord Jesus dearer than ever. I have been seriously ill at times and sadly depressed and I fear sometimes I have even rebelled. And therefore I look anew to him tonight. And I tell you that he is fairer in my eyes tonight than he was at first. What Spurgeon is trying to say, loved ones, is this. The power behind 
everything that we are and everything we do is the cross and the empty tomb. We forget that. We, we, we start doing things our own strength. We start expressing our own attitudes the way we want things, blah, 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 and then pr- pretty soon everything's a mess again. That everything, this morning as I've been preaching, I've been, I've been hiding behind the cross today because I know there's nothing here that's smart with me. This is all from God, you know. And so if anything's going to count today, it's because of Jesus. Amen? And that's the way it is in our lives too, in our prayer life, in our giving. We don't give to be seen. We, we, we hide when we give because we want Jesus to be elevated. We hide behind Him. Everything we do has to be done with this gazing upon Jesus, this, and this, this practice of focusing on Him, this great love of God that is so clearly and plainly and forever in front of the eyes of our faith. No matter what the devil does, no matter what the world does to us, no matter what we go through, nothing, no power whatsoever is able to separate us from this love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We hold on to Him with, again, various degrees of strength. Sometimes we feel like we can barely hold on. Other days we're stronger. But He knows our hearts. But He holds on to us with all the power that is, that is needed and nothing can tear us away from Him. So, you know, someone would add, well, how about if we rebel against Him? Well, Yes, of course. Paul's not talking about personal rebellion. He's not talking about personal rebellion here. Of course, you know, if you don't want God for some dumb reason. I mean, who would want to turn away the Lord after you know Him so well? I mean, but if somebody does, well, yeah, it's possible to backslide and to be lost. But that would be absurd to do something like that. So this is the power behind our life, behind intercessory prayer, behind everything. And next week we're going to look more into the resurrection and why that's so key and why that was so, so, so astoundingly, amazingly a surprise to the, to the disciples when Jesus came back to life. Father, as we close today, as we leave, I, I know this was a difficult um, and meaty subject today. Lord, and a lot of thinking, and I, and I hope that, Lord, there were some parts of it that were able to be caught by your people, that we understand that, that we have to stand and focus upon what gives us life, and that is the cross and the empty tomb. And as Jesus is lifted up, we just want to keep looking, 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 always looking, always considering him realizing that without him everything falls apart that lord that uh, you 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 give us new birth at the very beginning and there's nothing new at the very end of our life lord that that is that is uh, going to get us to heaven except what we knew from the very beginning father we it's true we we grow we mature but the basics are the same. That Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. He's that one lifted up that heals us of our sin, that releases us from the power of sin. He's the one that gives us eternal life. He's the one that helps us overcome our bad habits and all the other things, Lord, the things that dishonor God. He's the one that empowers us. Father, 
I pray that we would discover that today. That your people will really, that your Holy Spirit will just make it so plain to us. To always know that you don't love us one day and not love us the next. But your love is a constant expression of the salvation of Jesus. That no one is going to go back. I mean, we can't erase what he did. Mankind cannot erase what Jesus did, Lord, almost 2,000 years ago. It's locked in. It's solid. It can't be changed. It's forever there. No one can change your love for what you did. Your love is there. And now the devil just frets and stews because he can't do anything but try to deceive and trick and yell at us and scream at us as we trying to distract us. Lord, you, 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 we just, our, our faith goes back again and just rests upon what you did in Christ and how that is still effective today. And the power releases us from the evil one and, and enables us to be overcomers and conquerors. Father, we pray that uh, you will help us today to to look to gaze upon Jesus in your name we pray with all of our hearts Amen